Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean and Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin. I'm a certified health coach, trainer, and author. And this podcast is for middle-aged men and women looking to optimize their health and get their bodies back to what it once was 10 to 15 years ago. I will give you simple, actionable items to get long-term sustainable results. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, part two or two-part series for my 100th anniversary of the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And I hope you enjoyed part one. Uh, in the second part, we're going to get into some different guests that it was really tough to choose who to put in, but I wanted to just try to mix it up and give you some different topics. We got Ryan Lee talking about productivity. We got Abel James talking about his fasting and feasting routine. Megan Ramos, her one tip to get your body back and so on and so forth. Also, we got Brad Kearns coming back, had to put him back one more time and uh, a lot of great guests. So I hope you enjoy the second part of this two-part series and thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right, now we're going to go to episode 54 and this is my interview with Megan Ramos, who's a fasting expert and the program director at The Fasting Method. And I got to know Megan uh, through uh, Dr. Jason Fung, who's obviously a big name in the fasting industry. And I just loved my interview with Megan. This was her actually her tip to get your body back to what it once was. I really liked it. And I thought it was something that was simple and everybody can apply to their lives. And then we discussed a little bit on ways to avoid hunger as well. So uh, yeah, this was a great clip. Enjoy and thanks. Uh, what would be your one tip for you know, a middle-aged man or woman to get their body back? to what it once was like 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I would, yeah, no snacking. Absolutely okay. nice. do not snack. I don't know if that's what you're going to guess, but if I could get the world to stop snacking, um, I think we would dramatic, regardless of diet, anything else, um, I we would see a huge, huge reduction. And I know a lot of people think that's so silly, but I've seen it. I've seen it in tens of thousands of people uh, the power of just not stacking, regardless of their diet um, and the total calories consumed in this or that. And the snacking that has more of a, a powerful impact. Um, so really focusing on that and that will enable you to do some base intermittent fasting, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And that over the long term has profound health benefits too. And, and just, just to piggyback off that, to avoid snacking, what would, what do you recommend? Would you say like replace it with something maybe like tea, you know, when you start to get those hunger cues and things like that, to, to try to get out of that cycle? Yeah. yeah. Herbal teas, green teas are great. Um, decaffeinated coffee, if you can tolerate the caffeine and that, um, just even minty water, mint's such a great appetite suppressant or adding a teaspoon of uh, apple cider vinegar. The acetic acid is a great ap uh, appetite suppressant in that. So finding these other things, you know, my, I have my few different teas that I drink throughout that, my morning, my afternoon, my evening mint tea, um, and these become new rituals. Uh, and, and that also, there are healthy rituals too. There are great benefits from, from consuming these. So those are 
those type of habits are what we're really looking to improve upon um, when we talk about snacking. So don't just try to tough it out there, but enjoy a nice cup of tea. Yeah. Sparkling water. I love to use that as well. I just say, take your mind somewhere else, right? Stay busy, maybe go for a walk. <laughs> Self-care. Yeah. Yeah. Something just to take your mind. I always find the easiest way to fast is just to keep your mind busy by doing something else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can totally ride out those hunger waves by distraction because it's true. The hunger does come in waves. So, I mean, if you're just flopped on the couch, uh, and inside of the kitchen, you're going to want to eat. But if you say, okay, I'm going to go up, I'm going to do some gardening, I'm going to walk the dogs, uh, I'm going to organize the sock drawer, mm -hmm. uh, do some laundry, uh, the, all of that stuff will take your mind off of it. And the next thing you know, the hunger wave will be gone. All right, on to episode 68 with my interview with Connie Nightingale. She's a trainer and health coach. And I really like this clip because she discusses how stress affected everything that she was doing and how she overcame it. And it really made a change for the better. And sometimes we don't, don't always talk about stress and weight loss or whatever we're doing in life, but it can really take a toll. And I thought this was an important thing to uh, highlight with my interview with Connie. So enjoy. No, and stress too. I mean, stress is a huge killer. It causes so many things. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, if somebody wants to look a little bit into stress, there's an amazing book out there. It's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Hmm. Highly, highly recommend it. But it talks about stress and the and the process and how the it affects your blood sugar. And you see so many people that get these stress-induced diseases. Um, and we live in this society that is just so stressful in the first place, right? We're all trying to make ends meet. We're all working really, really hard and grinding our life away and, and then trying to exercise on top of it all. And sometimes that's just a huge recipe for a disaster. Um, and I can kind of use myself as an example there because back when I was really deep into the bodybuilding stuff, I had a very stressful job. I didn't sleep because I was so busy trying to work out and my body wouldn't lose weight. <laughs> like mm. it, it just wouldn't. And, and I'm, I'm on a different level because I'm trying to get sub, you know, single digit body fat numbers. <laughs> but the thing is, is it's like when you, you can start to see all these things show up. And I went through this successful, this really stressful career for so long that when I finally dumped it, I realized I slept better. I felt better. I recovered better. So many things, my weight would, I could lose weight without even dieting because I wasn't stressed. It affects a lot. It's a big, big player in the, in the health and weight loss game. And what, what, what type of things did you do to help, uh, improve, you know, improve your lack of stress, I should say. Uh, some stress management tips out there. What would you, what would you say? Well, I mean, back in the day, I didn't have any good stress management tips. I, I was a huge train wreck, right? Okay. Uh, I was preaching like nutrition and all these things, but I didn't have the whole puzzle put together. Mm. Um, and then finally I was still doing my coaching. I was, I was working way too much. I was doing my coaching. I was, I'm constantly taking classes and doing self-development and, uh, and then also working this extremely stressful job. And one day I'm sitting at this job and I, I couldn't sleep and I felt horrible and all these things. And I was so scared to do it, but I was like, this job is going to kill me. Mm. My heart rate variability sucked all the time. Everything was horrible. 
And I was trying to optimize all these other places in my life, but my job stress was just too much. And I was like, I'm done. I, I don't care if I'm not making megabucks anymore. I don't care if I have to live extremely minimally because I just quit my job. I, I was like, I have to take care of my health. What good right. is my having a great job if my health sucks? And, you know, there's another thing that we have to look at. And that is we pay I mean, think of it this way. We pay for these fancy vacations and these things. We work hard so that we can buy these things that are gratifying to us. Mm-hmm. Well, what is more gratifying than health? I mean, really? And yeah. I started flipping a- around my train of thought to like, I can make less money and have good health and be happy rather than grinding my life away at a stressful job. And mm-hmm. so I kind of had to change my way of thinking around that. And when I did pretty much everything changed. Yeah. I mean, I always, yeah, your, your best investment is your health. And if you're going to spend money, why not spend it on that? Because you could spend money on a lot of material things, but if you're not around to enjoy them, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. And making less money is essentially spending money because you're not I mean, you're not grinding your life away to try to make a bunch of money that you can spend on things that are gratifying when what's more gratifying than enjoying your life and your career. Uh, It may not pay as much, but Hey, you know what? I'm happy. It's paying me back tenfold. All right. Now I'm going to highlight episode 50 where I interviewed entrepreneur, author, speaker, Ryan Lee. And I've known him for a while. I actually went to some of his live events and I've been to his house a few times to learn from him because he is a true entrepreneur and he's been in the health and wellness space for over 25 years. He also started a bunch of different businesses. One of them is called Rewind, which is a superfood company. And I just thought this clip was, uh, would be beneficial for anybody, whether you're starting a business or wanting to be more productive throughout the day. So we discuss his keys to productivity and how to have a successful business. Enjoy. I wanted to ask you this. I, um, I mean, you've been in the health and wellness industry for a while. You also are an entrepreneur and have, you have freedom, owner of freedom and mm-hmm. a rewind, which is, um, green supplements. What would you say? Like if you were telling someone that I know we're not, this is sort of off the topic a little bit, but keys to productivity, um, in any area, but you know, in business and things like that. And, um, yeah. and having sort of a balance between family and business. Well, the mind shift for me with my business is just building the business around my family. That's it. Everything I do, I run it through that filter. Is it, you know, high, what's the profit and what's the hassle? If it's high hassle, I don't care if it's high profit, I'm not doing it. So it's gotta be, for me, it's gotta be low hassle, high profit. So everything has to run through that filter and how much time is this going to take away from me and my family? Uh, if it's taking time away, I, I'm not going to do it. So I build my, my life around my family. The way I do it tactically is first thing in the morning, I do the things that are going to move my business forward the most, the biggest levers, which is not sitting around and, and reading Facebook for two hours or just answering emails all day. That's not going to be the best use of my time. The best use of my time for my business is our ads and our uh, e- email newsletters. So that's the first thing I do. I go, I get focused. I shut off all other instant messages, all the 
all the stuff that's going to distract me. And I do the big things so that by 10, 11 in the morning, I'm pretty much done with my day. I could end it there and be good and everything's going to maintain and even grow a little bit as opposed to all this other stuff. I mean, that's it. It's that big, that big, big thing doing that first, but figuring out what it is and each business is going to be different. Um, And what's the most important thing in your life? Making that, making that is this, what's your goal? You know, is this, is what I'm doing. Everything you do is either moving you closer to your goal or further away from your goal. If you want to build your, you know, your company to X amount of dollars and you're faced with this, this other opportunity, is that moving you closer to it or further away? And if it's moving you further away, you don't do it. All right. On to episode 78, in which I interviewed two-time New York bestselling author and one of the leading experts in paleolithic nutrition, Rob Wolf. I was blessed to get him on the podcast. And I put the clip in and where he described how to get your body back to what it once was. And I'm not going to give it away in the intro, so you'll have to listen. This was a good one. Um, if they had to give one tip uh, to like a middle-aged individual, 40, 50 years old, um, and they wanted to get their self back to where they were maybe 10, 15 years ago, get their body back to what it once was, what, what, what kind of tip would you give them? Sleep more. Like, so if I, so if I was able to go back 20 years and reorient my whole career, I would make it all about sleep first because this paleo diet thing or low carb diet thing, it, 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 it's a religious war. Like people are religious about dietary stuff. And although convincing people that sleep is, is important, like particularly if you work with like some type A corporate execs, like hard chargers, like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead and all this stuff. But it's really easy to show how misguided that, that, that thinking is like um, a couple of days of missed sleep and the person is functioning like they, they've got a blood alcohol level of like point, point 0.1 and stuff like that. Like it's, it's pretty easy to, to unpack all that. So what I, if I could redo my whole career, I would be the sleep guy, not the, not the paleo guy. But then every single thing that you do is oriented towards, do you get better or worse sleep? If you're eating a shit diet and you have blood sugar dysregulation, it's going to negatively affect your sleep. Okay, so we've got to clean up your diet. So we do some dietary cleaning up. Well, I want to be vegan. Okay, let's tinker with that. Well, your sleep is still poor and we have cool things like HRV platforms and aura rings to really get deep on that. And it's like, man, you're experiencing a lot of hypoglycemia. I think we need to reduce your carbohydrate intake. And if it does, it will improve your sleep. And then you get to, you, you know, you don't get to argue about this. So I, we get back into everything from a sleep perspective. Well, you should lift some weights and do a little bit of cardio because it'll improve your sleep. And we could validate that. So like the, if I had it all to do over, I would orient everything towards that, that sleep angle. And, and even currently, like if people are waffling on, a, a dietary change, beginning exercise, should they spend more time outside? If and when it's a scenario that improves your sleep, then it's good. Like it is, it is guaranteed to be good for you. So I, I would say sleep is that everything that you do, if you could think about how is it going to negatively or, or positively impact your sleep, that is going to be the greatest return on investment you could possibly get. And if folks don't believe me, just stay up all night tonight and get up tomorrow. And, and talk to me about how functional you are. How strong are you? How good is your cardio? 
how fast and witty are you? How wonderful of a, a husband or, or father are you when you're horribly sleep deprived? And, and all that pushback and bullshit kind of goes out the window then. All right, now we're going to episode 58, in which I interviewed Dr. Jamie Seaman, aka Dr. Fit and Fabulous. She is a board-certified OBGYN with a background in nutrition, exercise, and health science. And this clip features what tests she recommends, what lab tests she recommends for everybody to at least start with to uh, get a baseline of where you're at. So I thought this was relevant for um, all my audience, and my, including myself. And yeah. So here's Dr. Jamie Seaman discussing lab tests that you sh that she recommends that you should start out with. Thanks. What what as far as lab tests, do you are there like maybe three to four lab tests that you really like prescribe to uh, that you recommend for most of your clients? Yeah. So most of my patients on an annual basis, we do fasting labs and we are checking a fasting glucose level, fasting insulin levels, and a lipid panel. That's kind of like my super, super, super basic, like where are we at from a metabolic standpoint? And we want to see low triglycerides, high HDL, the LDL, we don't care about as much. If a patient has pre-existing cardiovascular disease or a strong family history of cardiovascular disease, there are some genetic mutations, you know, with familial hypercholesterolemia and things like that, then that patient should get something called an advanced lipid panel, an NMR panel. There's Boston heart. There's lots of names for it but it actually looks at their lipid size. And it also looks at other inflammatory markers like LP little a high sensitivity CRP. It looks at their apolipo A and B, but that's kind of getting, a, a, you know, a little more advanced on a basic, basic, basic level. I think every patient should have fasting glucose, fasting insulin and lipid panel checked at their annual exam. I usually will check also basic chemistry panel, um, you know, look at their red blood cell, white blood cell counts. Um, and I usually screen um, hemoglobin A1Cs in these patients as well. And then kind of based on, you know, for women in particular, I screen for thyroid a lot. Um, we can look at other uh, inflammatory markers. So high sensitivity CRP, like I mentioned earlier, um, can be helpful. Um, but I think at a basic level, most patients have no idea what their fasting glucose and insulin are. And those things in particular, you know, we see insulin resistance develop for 10 years prior to prediabetes. And so that luckily was me in my thirties. I caught it. I was on the five year train to type two diabetes and I, and I was able to stop the train. And that's what I want to be able to do as a provider is let's stop it from happening before it happens instead of getting down the road when a lot of the damage has already been done. All right. Episode 74 was my interview with Colin Stuckert. He's the founder of Wild Foods and the podcast host of Better Human Podcast. And Colin has a ton of energy and is very passionate. And I really enjoyed this whole interview. And this clip was him talking about the importance of protein and how it is so essential to health and also his key principles to health. So I loved his energy and his passion, and I wanted to bring it to you. So enjoy. And, and that was, that sort of leads to my other question, which gets, comes up a lot, um, is protein. Mm. How, how do you go about, you know, I know with, you know, you, you guys sell, um, you have a whey protein, right? I think you have a collagen protein. Yep. Um, what's your thoughts around that and how much, how much per person it's, it's, I think it's like a widely debated thing. And I don't even know if there's a really a right answer. Yeah. Oh, this is actually a huge topic. Like I've done videos on this. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think about the, the, so I did this when I was in the carnivore diet and I was documenting that on YouTube. I did a video on how much protein and it's something that 
I still try to prioritize. So Ted Nyman has his PE diet, which is the protein to energy ratio. And for me, this was like one of those, this is a, this is one of the amazing heuristics to think about nutrition for me, the final piece, because when I did carnivore, I did paleo carnivore, you know, like always generally low carb. And I came to some of these realizations about nutrition. One of them was that if you cook your food and you prepare your high quality ingredients, that's like the 80, 20 for health. That's what everybody should be doing. Right. It almost doesn't matter what you eat. If you make it from scratch, that's like advice we should give to the masses. If you want to optimize though, you got to listen to your biology. Not everybody can eat grains. Not everybody can eat uh, even certain plant foods. They, you know, they have autoimmune issues. So like, there's a lot to it beyond that, depending on the individual. And if you're trying to optimize for health, uh, fitness and looking, you know, looking good or performing, that's when we want to get a little bit more specific about our macros and what foods we're eating and not. Um, and so one of the first principles for me and what Ted Nyman, Dr. Nyman's diet really brought for me was thinking about protein as nitrogen and everything else has energy. That was just such a simple way to kind of think about food. Hmm. What that means basically is protein is mostly used for repair and recovery, right? And this is why for years, bodybuilders, you know, even back in Arnold's day, they would just eat hundreds and hundreds of grams of protein and then kind of fill in the gaps with everything else. Right. Well, the reality is that's what most of us should be doing in our modern environment because protein is the most satiating nutrient and most of us under eat it. And what it does more importantly for most people though, is it displaces energy, which is carbs and fat, right? Fat, very energy dense, right? Uh, still, I would say better for most people than carbs because carbs are very tricky. Like the carb source matters and how fast you eat it and when you eat it. And like, there's so many variables to carbs and carbs usually come in the form of things that include lectins and other things that can cause irritants to your biology that a lot of people don't even know about. They're not diagnosing. And so the way to think about this as a first principle is, I always try to prioritize protein in my meal, eat as much of it as I can, as I can literally stomach. Cause I'm telling you, like, I just, it's for me. And some people are like this, you eat like a pound of steak or chicken and your body's like craving the carbs, the energy, but you st- like, it's really hard to keep eating protein. Like it, I just get so full, so fast on protein. But when I eat more of it, I displace eating the carbs and the tasty things that I know I shouldn't be eating, you know, and I, I eat less of the energy. So every meal we focus on prioritizing a, you know, maybe a handful size of protein and maybe even eat that first and then give yourself some time to like under, like let your, your gut communicate to your brain that you're full. Cause I tend to overeat. I eat too fast. And then I'm like, I feel full afterwards. Right. So let your body kind of signal eat slow and then fill in the gaps with carbs and protein or carbs and fat you're for with energy. Right. And so every meal you think, okay, is my plate or is this food I'm eating? Is this energy? Is it carbs and fat? Like I was snacking last night on these like gluten-free potato chips and like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not under any illusion that that's good for me or whatever, but I have it every so often. I enjoy food and I'm saying to myself, energy, energy, like everybody's like energy, energy, energy. And it definitely is like a mental heuristic to remind myself that I need to continually be vigilant against eating energy and continue, continually prioritize protein. That's literally for most people, like could solve so much of the complexity and simplify eating prioritize protein, nitrogen, rest and repair and recovery. Think about protein that way. And everything else is energy. And the problem is most people consume too much energy. And when you consume too much energy, you get what? Fat. And mo- most people are at, are at a struggle of eating too much energy. They have way too much energy, not enough nitrogen, not enough recovery, right? And then they overeat and, and you know, then they feel bad about themselves and they overeat and like it's a vicious cycle. 
All right, on to episode 62. And this is an interview with Alexa Sherm. She's a nutritionist, podcast host, and founder of The Living Well. And I wanted to highlight this clip because it was a little bit different than some of my other interviews where she talked a lot about energy flow in your body and how you can boost your brain energy, as well as something called circadian fasting, which I thought was really interesting. So Anyways, enjoy this clip with Alexa, and it's a little bit different than some of my other interviews, and I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much. What type of actionable tips do you do you give people as far as just like, I noticed you boosting brain energy, um, and I know we've talked a lot about energy so far. What would be ways yeah. that an individual could do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think fasting is one of the best <laughs> ways to boost brain energy. Right. Um, again, we need to eat, but there's a time to eat and we shouldn't be grazing all day long. Right. Um, because again, when food's in our system, it's a lot of energy to goes towards digesting. Yeah, right? It takes yeah. a ton of work to right. break that food down. And you know that, right? Like sometimes after you eat, you'll almost feel tired. And the yeah. more that you eat, um, the more tired you'll feel because your body has again, channeled energy in a different direction. And so if we really start to become aware of, and just listen to our body, right. Just to, just to understand it a little bit, then we can start to see where that energy is going based off of how we're feeling. Like literally energy is how do you feel? Like, do you feel energized? Do you feel like you have get up and go? Do you feel like you could go outside and do a workout? Or do you have the brain energy to get through a day without feeling sluggish in the afternoon? All of those things are good signs that your body is working as it should, that it's thriving. And so a few quick things that can help mobilize energy again are just daily circadian fasting. I think moving that to another level outside of intermittent fasting and saying like, okay, your biggest meals should be breakfast and lunch and your smallest meal by far should be at supper time. Hmm. Um, I like to think that half, uh, your supper should be half the size of your lunch. Now, this is a hard thing for people because you know, the traditional scope in America right. is that we eat a small breakfast and a small lunch, and then we kind of come home and binge. But if you're doing this right, by the time supper rolls around, you should not be that hungry. If you feel like you're ravenous or starving or especially hungry before bedtime, you did not eat enough during the day. So it's just add more, add more, add more until you feel like you can come home and maybe even skip supper if, if it allows, but otherwise eating half of your meal. Now for me, I have to cook my biggest meal at night because it's when I'm home. And a lot of people still do that. I think you can still do that. Just eat half the amount that you normally would, and then use the rest for leftovers. So I always like to think of like, what are, what things can I cook at night that then I can use again for breakfast or lunch the next day. Mm. I also think if you're going to do that, it's really important to get outside this idea that you have to eat breakfast foods. Um, you know, like a bowl of cereal and granola bar, those things aren't really going to be that nourishing, especially for breakfast. That's the wrong time to eat those foods. Um, we want to see more of these, what I consider harder to digest foods being eaten earlier in the day, mm. harder to digest foods would be things like animal proteins, heavy fats, just your heavier meals in general. Um, and then more carbohydrates, if you're going to have them as the day progresses, because those are going to be easier to digest. They're going to get out of your system quicker so that your body can convert over into that fasted state. Um, and that's really what we want to see. And also you have better digestive enzymes. Your gut bacteria is working at, um, greater rates. 
during the early morning hours. And it actually feeds off of those higher protein, higher fat foods. That's going to help you produce more serotonin, which is going to help you feel better. Um, and so those are some things I think daily movement, you know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of these, like pretty basic, um, things. So really the goal is how can we create energy flow inside the body? The best way to create energy is to work. Work produces energy. Um, and so we want to be moving our body. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, like I even think foam rolling, stretching, massage, sauna sessions, Epsom salt baths, anytime we can continuously move our body that is going to create energy and make us feel better. So if you like, I, I have some lists on my site, Um, and I can't remember exactly where they are, but it's kind of like, okay, creating lists of what gives you energy and what takes your energy away. This is super basic and it seems really cheesy, but just understanding, okay, making a list today, going back in your day, what things like exhausted me, what things took energy and it could be quote unquote, really healthy things. Like for some people, their workout is just not the right workout for them in that season. So maybe you're going through a season where your body is fighting something internally, like a virus or a parasite, and you don't even know it, but your body's channeling extra energy into the immune system. And it's going to make you feel like your workout is just hard and it's grueling and you get home and you're so tired and you're hungry and you're craving all the things all day long. That's a sign that that workout in this moment, not forever in this moment, it's probably taking more energy than you actually have, leaving you exhausted. So how can you alter that to enhance energy flow? A good example of this is like women, and I know I keep coming back to the menstrual cycle, and um, but it is a good time because it's, again, like during menstruation, we see that there's a massive movement of energy into healing, into um, repair. And we see that women tend to struggle to do their harder lifting, harder workouts in this time. And if you fight through that, you're actually creating more problems and more stress and inflammation long-term rather than just understanding my body's lacking energy or it's channeling energy in a different way. How instead can I support it with movement? That's going to help create flow rather than take flow. Um, and so doing more yoga, more Pilates, just walking sometimes, I mean, all of that can create change, but I think movement is critical. I think what type of movement is going to depend on how your body or what your body needs in that movement or in that time. Mm -hmm. So fasting movement, um, obviously relationships. I think we're only as healthy as our most unhealthy relationship, um, because relationships take tons of energy, um, your work, your passions, the environment in which you live, like how you're, um, surrounding yourself, all of those things I think are really important. And then I think also, I don't think we give enough credit to like just being outside in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think nature is one of our best medicines because it tends to have a really high, high energetic, like high flow. The sun is one of the highest forms of energy that we have. And, Mm -hmm. and just being in the sun, um, is really, really important to our system, especially morning sun tends to be really good. It's just a change in light frequency that energizes our body. Um, and so just getting outside, no matter what the weather is, it's just really important to be outside. All right. Now we're going to go to episode 52, where I interviewed bestselling author, podcast host, and health crusader, Abel James. Abel James has been featured in Wired Magazine, Paleo Living, and he also hosts the Fat Burning Man Show podcast, which is actually one of the top health podcasts out there. 
along with myself. <laughs> and Abel James uh, had a ton of great energy. I loved his tips around fasting and feasting and his routine and also how to get better sleep. So I think you'll enjoy this uh, little short clip with myself and Abel James. Thanks. Yeah. Is, what's your routine like, your fasting and feasting routine? Yeah, it, that's the longer that I've done this, the more it looks like that. But when I first started, it was more a 16-8 where I just basically push breakfast breakfast into the more like noon territory sure, uh, and then stop eating after dinner. But the longer that I did that, the, the more I found that I could push lunch a little bit far. Like I wasn't hungry by lunch. And I'm like, well, if I'm not hungry, then why would I eat right now? Let's, <laughs> let's try 2 p.m. And you can push that too far and you, you like experience what that feels like. There's no nirvana waiting at the end. Like if you're fasting for 40 days straight, no, you'll die at some point. It's mm -hmm. not the answer necessarily, but it's a really important skill to build metabolically speaking. Uh, and I really experienced a lot of the benefits running too. Like for me, I used to run marathons. I don't run that far anymore, but, uh, it's one of those things where if, if you have to be sucking on goo packs and making sure that you're uh, carb loading the night before with all this pasta, and I mean, that's not, that's not ideal because with health as a survival skill, thinking that way, you know, when things get real, it's not when you're well slept and well fed. It's when, you know, you haven't slept, you haven't eaten. And so I think it's important to kind of train for that, even if that means just not eating for a certain portion of the day or going dinner to dinner, to dinner or even every once in a while, I'll do a two or three day fast where I'm still drinking water. I want to be clear about that. I, I don't do dry fasting. I don't tend to do long fasts all that often, but I, uh, the longer I do this, the more it's closer to one and a half meals a day, maybe even one meal a day where I'm eating for about four to maybe six hours or so. And I think it's important to, I go to bed early. I try to go to bed with sundown most of the year and oh. I try not to eat. I do eat carbs later in the day, especially post workout. And I work out in the afternoon, but I try not to eat it too close to when I go to sleep because that can interfere with uh, glucose during sleep and then even the next day and the next morning and, and lead to hunger and just kind of you're feeling off the next day because it's not best to raise your blood sugar right before you go to sleep. All right. Now we're going to episode 60 with podcast host, New York Times bestselling author, and the number third ranked world ranked master's track and field high jumper, Brad Kearns. And this was my second time around with Brad but I really love the way he went into micro workouts and how you can fit them into your day because really it takes away all the excuses. And I just thought this would be beneficial for everybody to listen to. So this was part two with Brad and I know you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much. Well, I'm, I'm really uh, a fan of this micro workout concept as well. I've talked about it a lot on my podcast, written some articles for Mark Stanley Apple. Uh, if people are interested, they can probably Google that term and hopefully um, some good stuff of mine will come up. But I think this is one of the greatest breakthroughs we've seen in the fitness industry in decades. This idea that yes, uh, even the shortest, most ridiculously short workout can have a phenomenal 
impact on your fitness and health over time. And the cumulative effects of doing these mini workouts will add up to be tremendous fitness boost. And what they also do is kind of uh, elevate the platform from which you launch all your formal workouts. So if you are getting in with your trainer twice a week and they're putting you through the motions and you're doing all this great stuff, if you can just do a little bit here, a little bit there on the other days, you're going to walk into those appointments or whatever you're doing uh, with a vastly superior fitness level and much less risk of injury from being the guy who sits at his desk uh, all day long and then heads out to join the running club on Tuesday nights and boom, there goes your Achilles tendon. So we want to be like active, moving people. We want to break up prolonged periods of stillness any way we can. And that goes all the way down to, you know, every 20 minutes of sitting, you got to get up and do something. Even if it's for one minute, it's going to make a huge impact on your metabolic health your cognitive function and your, your lifelong habit patterns. If you just, as a rule, get up and fidget around and do something. So I've orchestrated this, this home environment for myself to make these opportunities uh, really simple and accessible. Uh, and I have great examples like, you know, right here within reach, I have a pull-up bar and I might do, you know, on, on a busy day, Hey, I might, I might only do one set in a whole day. Some days I'll do five or six sets. Uh, but I'm pulling my, my body over a bar uh, 12 times in one set. And if you go 365 days a year and I'm doing this, you know, 300 times a year and another five or 10 or 20 or 30 days, I'm doing several sets. Uh, this is outside of my workouts. I'm not talking about my workout when I might be going and doing pull-ups. Um, this adds up to, you know, thousands of hoisting my body weight over a bar as part of my life. I don't write it in my training log proudly to say, hey, I did six pull-ups uh, on my way to the, the cupboard to get another post-it note. You know, it's just kind of in the groove here and there's other things the stretch cords are hanging here the x3 bars downstairs i have a deadlift bar that's on my way from the kitchen to the garbage bin and so my rule is whenever i throw away the garbage from the kitchen <laughs> so what's that once every other day i do at least one set of deadlifts now, if I'm in the mood or I'm doing a workout, maybe I'll do the proper five sets of this and warming up and doing something that's taking, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, or it's part of an actual workout. But I want people to get out of this mindset that, especially with COVID, you're hearing people say, well, you know, my gym closed. So I've really gotten out of shape and I haven't done anything. It's like, mm -hmm. dude, your gym is in your cubicle because if you can drop for 20 deep squats and that takes what? 30 seconds and you can do that several times a day oh my gosh even even someone who's really fit when you get up to 18 19 your 20th squat you're feeling a little burn it's it's not easy to do something that simple or just you know i have uh, one flight of stairs in the house and i sprint them almost every time just because I look at a staircase, and I'm like, hey, this is an opportunity to sprint. It's not mm -hmm. going to get me tired for tomorrow's big workout. It's just a chance to do another micro workout. So my examples of micro workouts last from, you know, four seconds to sprint up the stairs to, you know, one minute of doing, uh, going out of my way to do some pull-ups. And that's where, you know, it's within reach of everybody. And if you think that doesn't matter or that's no big deal, you're, you're absolutely, you're absolutely off track. It makes a huge difference. And so we got to get out of this mindset that's an all or nothing. And my, my gym was out of towels this morning. So I, I turned around and drove home. You know, that's the kind of thing that's really blocking people from uh, having a more active, healthy, fit lifestyle. 
All right, episode 94, and my interview with holistic practitioner, Dr. Bradley Campbell out of Chicago. And this is someone that I've been going to over the last few years. And this was a great interview. I highly recommend listening to the whole thing. But I wanted to highlight the clip where he discusses his tip to get your body back to what it once was and reverse aging. So I'm not going to give it away, but it is a great thing that everybody can implement in their lives on a weekly, monthly basis. So thanks so much and enjoy. Well, let's say you're getting in your 40s and 50s and 60s and you know, maybe you're looking for a way to sort of get your body back to what it once was when you were in your 20s and 30s. And this is a common goal for a lot of people. What would you give? What like one tip would you give that individual uh, looking to get their body back? Um, I would say do youthful things. So mm. there's an old research study that took people in like their 60s to 80s and they took a bunch of biometric markers and blood markers and even like photos of them. And then they put them in their environment of what it looked like when they were in like the 1920s or 1940s. And they played the music from the 1920s and they made them dress up like the 1920s and talk like the 1920s. And they gave them newspapers that had the same newspaper from the 1920s. So they basically put them in their old environment mm. and their body reverse aged within like, I think a few days to a few weeks. So they were wow. in like this carnival fair, but it's one of those like classic studies people use to say, if you act young, you won't, your physical body will actually become young. So if you start to play with your kids or your grandkids, if you start to go ride a bike around town, like you used to, or even like skateboard or rollerblade or do something like a little more fun, play a little basketball or golf or like something kind of like fun, like you used to as a kid, mm -hmm. especially when people get into the retirement age, like, what do I do now? I'm like, go back to your childhood, mm -hmm. have fun. The biggest key factor, I think, is having fun, whether it's like singing, dancing, listening to your old music, doing the old sports you used to do, playing, if you can't play tennis, play ping pong. So you might have to modify it a bit. Right. But I think like having games and fun time or music, like any kind of um, playing music or dancing or listening to music is really good for your brain. And composers are the longest living profession or conductors, sorry, of orchestras are, I think like the longest living profession. They usually can work into their eighties or nineties um, because conducting an orchestra is so brain stimulating and challenging intellectually for so many parts of you. And they have to like stand and move their arms and stuff. It's good cardio exercise. Um, wow, I think music is, yeah, music is definitely underrated. And I would say, um, even just listening, even just listening. Yeah. I mean, you want to be careful what you listen to. So you're not listening to like negative hate rap and you listen to a little more <laughs> positive stuff or something that like uplifts you rather than like sad music all day long. Right. Um, but that's even such, music. That's such yeah. great advice. You know, I have all these, you know, health experts on and, you know, we talk about different things. This is for you were the first one. And this is episode, I don't know, 94, <laughs> probably the first one that talked about like getting back to your roots. Right. Yeah which is so cool. Like I actually, part of me was thinking about rollerblading again. Um, <laughs> cause you know, <clears throat> it's been a while, but it, I, I, I would think that would be a fun thing for me to do if I was going to relive a younger moment. I mean, I'm a big golfer, so I, I, I you know, I, I still play golf and stuff, but rollerblading would be bringing back the old school, you know? Nice. Yeah. But, I mean, that's yeah. so true. Whether it's like surfing, skiing, whatever it is there's certain things you wouldn't want to do like you probably wouldn't want to play football in your 50s but right. you still like play catch or play flag football or softball or something but i think yeah getting back to your roots everyone wants like the nad or they want like the new diet or the new pill or the new like this shortens your telomeres i'm like 
but just like have a good time. Cause if also, if you're having a good time, you don't really care if you die, if you're like 82 or 84, which like NAD might change, give you a few more years, but like, why does it matter if you're not having fun? All right. Well, there you have it. A two-part series looking back on the last hundred episodes, some of my favorite tips and guests that I've had, and it was tough to fit them all in there, but hope you'll take a little bit from each of them and apply it to your life. Don't let it overwhelm you. Just take one at a time. And I love ending with Dr. Bradley Campbell. If you're going to do something, make sure you're enjoying it and helps keep you young and vital and hopefully live a healthy, happy life. So thanks again for listening of this two-part series. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine. And I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.